one constant through all the years, Ray. It's been beyond the game. The ladies are digging my sweet bass. That's the dumbest thing I could think of. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. You like that? You like that? That is a career ender, just like this show. You're already famous in Rochester, the Watch Out World. It's a faith-based sports radio program. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into the Beyond the Game program. I'm Zach Barletta, your producer, filling in for Rick Benson today as he's out and about doing something other than making radio magic. So, as usual, when I'm hosting, my brother Spencer is on the studio line. He'll be co-hosting with me today. Spencer, how are you doing? Doing really well, man. Thank you so much for having me back, and I'm really looking forward to another show. Things are going well here. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in. Spence, um... It's one of the biggest weekends in sports, one of our favorite weekends of the entire year, and that's NFL Draft Weekend. And I don't know about you, but I wasn't sure that I was going to survive to get to this weekend. I completely understand. This last week has felt like it's crawled by. There's been so much drama building up for literally months. And as a Bills fan, there's so much to look forward to. I told somebody the other day, uh, yesterday I said, man, this day feels like it's 38 hours long because the, you know, the whole watch pot never boils thing. It's been, uh, it's been dragging by, but we're almost there. Absolutely, man. I mean, even for me, like, just obviously once the Bills playoff game ended, didn't have the result that we wanted. Um, and you were at the game, and so you obviously, uh, understand. Ever since then, it's been like, all right, let's start watching the tape of these quarterbacks. We know that's where the Bills are going. We want to, you know, sort of start getting psyched for the draft. And then especially once the Super Bowl was over and the football season had ended. And pretty much since then, it's been uh, football, 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 doing scouting and, and watching all the potential players that could be picked. And uh, I, I don't know about you. But uh, Thursday morning, the day of the draft, I looked in the mirror, I found white hairs in my mustache, and I was like, this thing just <laughs> needs to get over with. It's stressing me out so bad. It really did get to that point, and uh, it almost made me a little sad, because it's as something that you look forward to so much, you finally get there, and as as the week is drawing toward the draft, you start to feel like, I can't wait for this thing to be over, whether that be because of the drama, because you just want to know, you want to be able to talk about what actually happened instead of what you think will happen, or just because the the trolls and know-nothings are out in force on Twitter, you just get to a point where you're ready for it to be over, and luckily we're at a point where now we can start to talk about what happened. And we're going to do that later on in this show. Uh, we will have our analysis of what the Bills did in the first round, which of course by now you know. Uh, we pre-record this show, so we won't have the results from Friday and Saturday, but we will talk about the Bills' first round pick. And, uh, Spencer, something else that's going on right now, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NBA playoffs. So let me ask you a question. With all the baseball that's been going on, the NFL draft stuff that's been going on, have you watched either the hockey or basketball playoffs at all? I've been able to catch a little bit of the NHL uh, Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, mainly because you have to prioritize them. It's something that you guys document mm -hmm. regularly on the show, but they are some of the most fun playoffs in any many any American major sport, and so I've been trying to keep up. I haven't been able to watch a whole lot, 
but what I've been able to catch, I really enjoyed, and I've taken the uh, the initiative to kind of look some things up to make sure I know what's going on because it's so exciting. Um, as far as the NBA playoffs, I really have not been able to catch them. Um, like you said, there's so much going on right now that it's just kind of the thing that I've sacrificed. Um, the one thing I can tell you based on what I've seen and heard about on social media everywhere, as I'm sure our listeners have, is uh, LeBron is doing LeBron things, uh, as always. Yeah, I gotta admit, I really haven't watched much of either. I haven't watched any of the basketball games. I've only caught little bits and pieces of the hockey games here and there, which bums me out because it's such fantastic television, and it's just, there's drama, and there's action, and there's beards, and just all kinds of great stuff. I have made sure to keep up with the scores. I've been following along. I've watched the highlights every morning. Um, I know that my NHL.com bracket is doing fabulously. Um, Benson and I have a Benson and I have a bracket going, and uh, I got every pick right for the first round except for I had Toronto beating Boston in seven games, and instead they lost to Boston in seven games. But considering it went to seven games, I'm going to call that a moral victory. <laughs> I think you can. So you got a, got as close as you can without coming away with a win, and unfortunately, it, it looks like they got thumped. But yeah, I think that with draft weekend being over now, that um, I will be able to sit down and watch some hockey here and there. I got to say, I've been watching so much baseball. I've been watching the Yankees a ton. I've been watching a ton of the other fun teams like the Angels. I've watched several of their games. Uh, once the draft stuff is over, I think it's just going to be baseball and then the Stanley Cup playoffs for me. How about you? Almost the same. I could say pretty much exactly what you said, so I won't take the time to do it, but really looking forward to catching some some really good as we get into the midseason baseball and then seeing how these uh, playoffs wrap up should be really exciting. Absolutely, and speaking of baseball, we are going to have some baseball talk coming up after the break. We're going to do a segment we haven't done for a while on the show. We're going to introduce Spencer to our Good, Bad, and Ugly segment Stay tuned. You're listening to the Beyond the Game program. You could find us at btgprogram.com. You could find us on Facebook. We're on Instagram at btgprogram and Twitter at btgprogram. Coming up after the break, our Major League Baseball, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is the Beyond the Game program. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. When St. Jude finds something that works well with a certain cancer, they share that with everybody. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. We just have to worry about helping Chandler, and it's just my heart. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. I am Zach Barletta, producing and filling in as the host for Rick Benson this week. With me, as always, on the weeks that I host is my brother, Spencer Barletta, on the studio line from Virginia. 
Spencer, are you familiar with our segment, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly? I am. Uh, I've gotten to see it kind of uh, evolve a little bit from talking about tweets into kind of more of a, a power-slash-fun ranking segment, and, and I enjoy it. I'm looking forward to being a part of it. All right. Well, our listeners who've been listening for a while know this segment's basically just an excuse to use the sound bite, to use the drop from that movie, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> but I just realized, since I'm not doing this on the studio computer, I'm doing it on my own computer, I don't have the drop. So I apologize in advance. I could just imagine all the radios that are clicking off right now when they find out that they're not going to be hearing that drop in the show. I do apologize. But we do have some some opinions to share, so we're going to go ahead and get into the good Spencer, my number three good team, the New York Yankees. The Yankees had been hovering around 500 on the young season, but they started turning it on against the Blue Jays early this week. Then they demolished the Twins in a four-game sweep at Yankee Stadium. The bats are hot. The non-Sunny Gray starting pitchers have been good. So the Yankees are my number three good team. Absolutely. Uh, It has been kind of uh, worrisome for Yankee fans at the beginning of the season, Obviously, Giancarlo Stanton's had some difficulty getting the kind of consistent start that you would want, but all of the other bats, and Giancarlo included, seem to be coming alive and in sync at the same time. The bullpen's starting to figure it out, and I can't I can't argue with that. It's a good pick. I'm going to go with um, the Houston Astros, and I'm going to go in kind of 3-2-1 down to one of my most exciting teams. Houston could be the best team in baseball, and something you and I were talking about before this segment was... Houston is probably the best pitching staff in baseball. We saw the bats come alive last year that you know brought them all the way through the World Series, um, and they were such a scary lineup to face. But with additions like Garrett Cole from the Pirates that they managed to to pick up during the offseason, this guy could end up being the AL Cy Young Award winner. And uh, they are a complete team, a dangerous team, not only now in the lineup, but uh, adding even more weapons to the pitching rotation. And the Houston Astros really picked up where they left off last year and and have even possibly gotten better. They're pretty scary. Yeah, I mean, the Astros haven't been hitting recently like we know that they can, but they almost really haven't needed it because the pitching has just been so good. I agree with that. My number two good team, the Boston Red Sox. My number two team, uh, as we record this, they've got the league's best record and highest run differential. They did get a no-hitter thrown against them last week which is keeping them out of the top spot. But overall, they've been clicking on all cylinders. And uh, as we know, they're still adjusting to some new players. They've got Dustin Pedroia still injured. But the Boston Red Sox, my number two good team. They are actually my number two good team as well. So a lot of what you just said, I uh, you have to you have to call a spade a spade. They're a powerhouse in the AL East and in baseball. Um, I did take a little bit of solace in the fact that I saw them ranked as one of the all-time worst no-hitters ever, uh, worst <laughs> being the team to be thrown against, but um, they're dangerous, and uh, when a lot of people were crowning the New York Yankees atop the AL East and maybe atop the, the entire American League in the World Series, um, right now, uh, you know, the Red Sox are the, are the team to beat, so right there with you. My number one good team, and I should preface this by saying Benson and I do this differently. Benson tends to rank his teams in sort of a season-long type of ranking where the absolute best teams in the league over a full season, where I tend to go with the teams that are playing the best in the last week or so. So my number one team is the Milwaukee Brewers. They've quietly been really hot lately. They went on a long winning streak that saw them sitting in the top spot in the NL Central. 
They're obviously not actually the best overall team in baseball, but right now they are one of the hottest. They're a team you wouldn't want to face right now, so the Milwaukee Brewers are my number one good team. They really have been very fun to watch, and, uh, you know, a team that you didn't inherently know was going to come out and play that way. And so it's always fun to see a team come out that's uh, that's young, that's exciting, that you may not have counted on. I hope it's okay. I've kind of got gotten a little bit of both in my rankings, both teams that I think are going to be very good for the year, and also teams that I think are very good, period, but are that, that are very exciting, uh, or like what you just mentioned with the Brewers, maybe a team that I didn't inherently know was going to be great. So with that said, my number one good team is the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Love it. I have, I have had such a blast watching this team, and holy cow, Shohei Otani. I, uh, he has been every bit as good as advertised and maybe better. Uh, I heard a stat read to me the other day that I think in the last game that he pitched, not only was he dominant, not only did he have a perfect positioning of the baseballs, hitting all of his spots, apparently he had something over over 30 pitches that hit 100-plus miles per hour. Uh, this guy is, is a menace uh, in the pitching staff, as well as when he's hitting. He had, was uh, right at the top of the home run charts uh, early on in the season. And, of course, you've got Mike Trout. So how can you not enjoy watching this team? They're a lot of fun, and they finally, not only have they got Mike Trout, who, by the way, after a slow first few games, now leads the majors in home runs and is doing Mike Trout things like always, but they went out in the offseason and they brought back Justin Upton, they added Ian Kinsler and Zach Cozart, and they really filled in the lineup around him to give him some help, and it's showing right now in what they're doing. Absolutely. Now, from the good on to the bad. Spence, my number three bad team, probably no surprise, that's the Miami Marlins. Aside from one surprising beatdown of the Yankees earlier and one extra innings walk-off win against the Cubs, things have gone mostly as expected for the Marlins. Amidst rumblings that Derek Jeter wants to move the team out of Miami, the team has posted the worst run differential in baseball. The Miami Marlins, my number three bad team. It has been very bad. Uh, Buster Olney of Baseball Tonight went on record early on saying, this team could lose 100 games. And they're not doing anything to prove anyone uh, otherwise. And uh, you're right, they've been rough to watch. Uh, what a what a, a sad time to be a part of that fan base, but hopefully they can turn it around. I'm going to actually keep things pretty simple. I'm going to run down some teams in order. I'll tell you exactly what they are here in a second. But I'm going to start with the Minnesota Twins. The, uh, the Twins have won only two of their last ten games and are currently, after being swept by the New York Yankees, on a seven-game losing streak. They had 33 runs scored against them in four games by the New York Yankees here lately, and most of that due to their horrendous bullpen uh, that has just not been able to produce the way that they wanted to. This is a team that wanted to be a playoff contender. They wanted to build for the future. They wanted to win, and instead they've got uh, something like eight wins and 12 losses and uh, look to be a team uh, really, really mid-struggle. Yeah, they went out and spent some money this offseason. I believe they started this year with their highest opening day payroll in their team's history, and it's really just gone to waste because of how bad that bullpen's been. A lot of young talent there. I think they'll get it together, and ultimately they could be a wild card team. But you're right, this week they've looked pretty bad. My number two team in the bad category, the Cincinnati Reds, started the season 3-15, and fired manager Brian Price only 18 games into the season, that's not what you want. There's some good young talent here. Not nearly enough, especially in a tough, top-heavy division. The Cincinnati Reds, my number two bad team. 
you've got a coach being fired early on in the season, a team posting a, just a rotten record. Uh, they, they definitely belong in this category. I'm going to move from the Twins to the Chicago White Sox with a 5-16 and 16 record. And this team and the next team I'm going to mention both really struggling not only with uh, scoring, but also with pitching. The Chicago White Sox have won one of their last 10 games and are posting uh, terrible numbers of, of runs scored against and pitching. And uh, so Chicago White Sox there in the AL Central are my team number two. I'm sensing a pattern with your bad teams. We'll see if it continues with the third one. My number one bad team, the Baltimore Orioles. They're not hitting, which is the one thing that they've always traditionally done. Is at least, Well, at least they hit. Well, they're not even doing that. Aside from young ace Dylan Bundy, they're not pitching either. As of this recording, they're at a minus 50 run differential, have lost nine of their last ten. It's ugly in Baltimore, and it's only going to get worse when Manny Machado leaves. So the Baltimore Orioles, my number one bad team. I don't think he's going to last the whole season there as an Oriole. And as a fan of a team in the AL East, I uh, I wish that they had maybe done a little more poorly against the New York Yankees, but they certainly are not in good shape for the rest of the season. And you're right, the trend will continue. For those who've been paying attention, my last team is the Kansas City Royals. I've, I went strictly with three teams from the AL Central because they're terrible. Uh, the Kansas City Royals are 5-17, and 17, and uh, they are also on a one win in the last 10 games slide, they've, uh, they have scored or been scored against 51 more times or 51 more runs than they have scored. And the Kansas City Royals, uh, very loyal fan base, have a little bit of talent, can't put it together. The AL Central is, is my bad category. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, it gets worse from there, folks, because we still have the ugly category to go. Spencer, I've got a couple. I think you've got a couple. Just some ugly things that we've seen in the last week or two. I'll go first. The first one is the weather. Uh, the first few weeks of the season have just been plagued by rainouts, snowouts. Um, the Blue Jays play in a dome, and they even had a game postponed because a piece of ice fell through the roof of their dome. Uh, it's just been unbelievably bad as far as the weather goes. Um some teams have only played like 16 or 17 games at this point just because of all of the bad weather. So the weather has definitely been one of the ugly things about this season. The other one I've got is from a couple weeks ago. I think you saw the highlight. The Arizona Diamondbacks were playing a game with a runner on first, and it's been long enough now I can't remember who it was, but a guy hits a home run, and it just cleared the fence, and the runner at first started retreating to first thinking the ball would be caught. The guy who hit the home run ends up passing the runner on the base paths, which results in an automatic out to cancel out the home run. So oh, man. that sloppiness that turns a home run into an out for the Diamondbacks, that's my other ugly thing that I saw so far this year. Completely appropriate for this segment. And man, what a no-no to turn a, to turn a home run into an out. Reminds me of years ago, I forget who hit it now, but that home run that got hit, and as the player was crossing home plate, he did just that, never touched it, crossed home plate, and uh, was counted as an out. Some of these things are just uh, no-brainers you should never get caught doing. But my uh, my ugly part of this segment, first and foremost, is Gabe Kapler. Uh, not Gabe Kapler in particular, because he's actually a very handsome-looking man. <laughs> but the Philadelphia Phillies managed by Gabe Kapler, the, the be particularly the beginning of their season, the first week or ten days. In the first week to ten days, I don't know that anyone got more publicity, especially negative publicity, than Gabe Kapler and the Phillies after his managing style for how he was using his pitching. And uh, 
it eventually came out that there were anonymous players going to the media saying, hey, Gabe Kapler needs to get out of the way. That is one of the ugliest scenarios I've seen, especially in the beginning uh, of the season. And, you know, as we're recording this, uh, they're managing to bring the record up. So hopefully things are fixed there. But um, I'm of the philosophy that anytime you've got players going to the media saying, hey, the coach is part of the problem, then you've lost control of the locker room or the clubhouse. So uh, number one ugly item is the, the Phillies there at the beginning of the season. And number two is this Marlins will soar Marlins theme song. Have you heard this song? Yeah, that's an old song that Scott Stapp did, and it's if if you don't remember, uh, listeners, Scott Stapp from Creed did a Creed style song for the Marlins, and it's as bad as that sounds. It it's bad for on a just a multitude of levels. First of all, the name is Marlins Will Soar, and that is, I mean, you could tell everything you need to know about the song based on the title Marlins Will Soar. Yeah, the Marlins are is, fish, buddy. They don't. Yes, they don't soar. They they <laughs> they are fish, and um, the problem is that. The lyrics don't match up with the music. So you have the music, and it's kind of a, an interesting, you know, kind of like rock ballad sound. It'd be something I would listen to that would kind of stir emotion. Maybe something I would listen to at the gym if I wanted to. The problem is that the words more match up with John Fogarty's song, Center Field. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. And <laughs> the words just, uh, it's funny because it seems like it's a silly, you know, kind of children's song. Let's play ball. It's game day. We watch strikeouts, base hits, double plays. These are the words of the song. Take the field, hear the roar of the crowd. Come on, Marlins, make us proud. And it just continues like that. If you get a chance to listen to this song, it's uh, it's just a paradox as you listen to it. So, sorry, but the Marlins Will Soar song is the, the final ugly item on my list. It's especially brutal because of the state of the Marlins this year. <laughs> True. You, I mean, this is a team that we just said a few minutes ago might lose 100 games, and you got this Marlins Will Soar. If you, if you get a chance, guys, go on YouTube, look up Marlins song it's pretty bad all right we're gonna take a break when we come back we will have shenanigans don't go anywhere this is beyond the game whoa the moment my son saw a redwood tree it's huge is the moment i knew that for him you see the top of that thing even the sky has no limit there are some moments only the forest can inspire find yours at discovertheforest.org learn about forests near you and discover cool things to do when you go your moment is out there find it at discovertheforest.org brought to you by the u.s forest service and the ad council hey it's zach if you're a fan of unsolved mysteries mythical monsters murder whodunits or just podcast in general check out my other show the Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MythsPodcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries podcast, and we'll see you next time. 
You're listening to Beyond the Game, talking sports from a different point of view. Beyond the Game is listener-supported. You can help by making a one-time gift or perhaps even committing to a monthly pledge amount. And if you own a business, consider advertising during the Beyond the Game program and promote your business to large audiences of both sports fans and people of faith. Please join us as we seek to encourage, equip, and evangelize through Sports Talk Radio. Visit our website at btgprogram.com for more information or make a donation via PayPal Secure Servers. Beyond the Game thanks you for both your financial and prayerful support. Welcome back to the Beyond the Game program. I am Zach Barletta, filling in for Rick Benson again today. My brother Spencer Barletta is on the studio line all the way from Virginia. And Spencer, I know that you know how to play shenanigans. Love this game. All right, let's uh, not waste any time. Let's jump right in. First of all, Angels center fielder Mike Trout has already been an MVP twice, but this year at age 26 we will see his best season yet, leaving no doubt that he's the best player in baseball. You know, I uh, I can't root against Mike Trout. I think it's true, and you know, I forget he's 26. Um, I got out kind of out of baseball for a little while when I was working really hard in college, working a full time job in school, and I kind of lost track of all sports. And um, you know, it's been a, a little while before I've been able to get back in, kind of one at a time into sports and know them enough to know what's happening. And so when you you know, Mike Trout is just kind of the king of baseball here lately, and I forget sometimes he's so young, but He's playing out of his mind. He's got, again, a major league leading 10 home runs. And uh, now, you know, surrounded by some good talent. He's still got Pujols. They've added Otani. I think he's going to get a few more valuable at-bats. And I'm going to say this is true. I agree as well. Um, You know, you mentioned that he has a league leading 10 home runs. By the time this airs, he might have hit three or four more. You know, who knows? He's just been just phenomenal. Which is great because I have him on three fantasy teams, so go Mike Trout. <laughs> uh, but no, he's, he's, it's easy to forget that he's still only 26, and for most players, that's still not even into their prime years yet. Uh, you also think about the fact this is probably the best lineup he's ever been in, mm-hmm. uh, that they have protection in front of and in back of him. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the last segment about the players that they added this season. He's a great player. He's 26. He's in a good lineup on a playoff contending team. You have to think that that energizes him at least a little bit. So I agree. I think we're going to see the best of Mike Trout, and uh, that probably leads to a third MVP. Number two, Dodgers pitcher Clayton Kershaw has long been considered the best pitcher in the game, but he's missed time with injuries each of the last few years. He hasn't had the lights-out start to the season that we expected this season, so truth or shenanigans... Kershaw is no longer the best pitcher in baseball. This one was was really tough for me because thinking about the idea of Kershaw not being the best pitcher in baseball, or, or you know, I've we talk about him being the best pitcher in the world. You know, it's uh, it's a paradox, you know, in your brain to think about the term, you know, Clayton Kershaw and then not being the best. But the more I thought about it, the more I think I have to agree that he is no longer the best pitcher in baseball. Um, if not for a few other reasons, people might disagree with me on this, but I think that there is a value in in health and consistency. And so for a while, we've had to say things like Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher when he's healthy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this year, we haven't seen exactly the lights out starts that we were counting on. He can't overpower people with his fastball as well as he used to be able to. And he's, I think, in a kind of a transition where he's having to try and be 
um, hitting spots and things like that. And with with the rise of such dominant pitchers, Noah Syndergaard, uh, we don't know exactly what Otani's going to be yet, especially with not much uh, scouting being out there on him. But there are so many dominant pitchers, Chris Sale, um, out there, and he's getting older. And you can't inherently count on him being there. So after thinking about it for a long time, and, and now talking about it for a long time, sorry, um, <laughs> I'm going to say it's true. I, I don't think he's the best pitcher in baseball anymore. I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to say shenanigans, but I do think it's very close. Uh, notably for me, it's Max Scherzer of the Nationals, who has just been electric. Uh, he is healthier than Kershaw has been. Um, he piles up the strikeouts, he puts up the ratios, um, but for me, until I see a full season of Kershaw not being the best, I just can't call him not the best. Uh, for me, he is the most talented, and so I think that, you know, look, it's early in the season, a lot of players' numbers have been affected by pitching in the, some of the cold weather that we mentioned earlier. Now, he plays in L.A., so he's avoided a lot of that, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. um, I just think there's so much season left that even just two weeks from now, we could be laughing at the fact that we even asked this question. So for me, until I see it over a full season, I'm going to say shenanigans. I think he is still the best pitcher in baseball. Can't really argue with you. Number three, the Cincinnati Reds fired manager Brian Price on April 19th after a 3-15 and start. As you mentioned earlier, truth or shenanigans, 18 games into the season is way too early to fire a manager. You know, I don't think it is. Um, depending on the situation, I could see where people would say yes, but the the 3-15 and 15 start is the franchise's, I think, second worst through 18 games in the past century. It's one of the worst records um, that we've seen in recent memory, the... Brian Price-led Cincinnati Reds posted a .419 win percentage, which is the worst in the MLB since the start of 2014. And uh, notably, I saw a stat that said Price's win percentage is also the lowest in franchise history among managers to spend more than three seasons with a team. You, you know, Regardless of how much you may like the guy, I think that maybe it was just time for him to go. I say shenanigans as well. Uh, I think... I mean, I see no problem with firing the guy. The the start to the season, I mean, if you start a season 3-15, and 15, there's basically no way you can turn that season around to contend sort of just an incredible, incredible run that would just be absolutely historic. And we know the talent's not there on this team to do that. So, you know, 18 games into the season, you already know you're basically out of contention. And I'm going off the top of my head here, but I want to say that they have been bad every year that he's been there. And I believe this was his fourth season. So at some point, you've just seen enough of the guy to know this isn't going to turn around. Might as well uh, try to start changing things up as early as you can and getting ready for next season. So you know what? I, I have no problem with the move. Mm-hmm. All right, switching over to the NFL draft now for the last couple of questions. Truth or shenanigans? You were shocked that the Dallas Cowboys did not select a first-round wide receiver to replace Des Bryant. You know, I really wasn't. And it seems like some of the media is and some other people I know are. Um, It's probably because I have a good friend here where I am that is a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. And actually, he's been beating the Tremaine Edmonds drum for weeks, uh, which makes it even better that now I can rub it in that we got him instead. But... um, (laughs) 
he has been saying it needs to be a linebacker. It needs to be a linebacker. We've got holes that need to be fixed at linebacker on defense. It's got to be defense. And so I'm kind of been, um, uh, I've kind of been ready for that pick for a little while. So it definitely could have gone either way because it seems like they could have gotten their pick of the wide receivers at that place. But uh, linebacker wasn't a huge surprise to me. It did come as a surprise to me. I'm going to agree with the statement that I was shocked. Um, I just, you know, the way that Jerry Jones loves to make a big splash and take a big flashy player, I thought for sure that coupled coupling that with really the lack of quality wide receivers in Dallas, that it was almost a guarantee they'd take a big receiver like Court and Sutton or a really well-rounded, talented wide receiver. Um, I just... I was very surprised to see Leighton Vander Esch be the pick uh, at linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um, although, as you've said, I guess it is a need for them. I just had really, I hadn't really even given him much thought. I just thought, well, it's going to be a wide receiver, of course. So, yeah, I was very surprised by it. Number five, Josh Rosen falling to number ten was the biggest surprise of the first round. You know, the first answer that jumped out to me was to say that it was true. Uh, the the QBs get so much attention that one is as talented as Rosen falling, even though we've kind of expected he may fall a little bit, that he wasn't going to be one of the first quarterbacks taken. But I think, to be honest, when I think about it, what was more surprising to me was the Saints trading up and giving away a 2019 first-round pick to get Marcus Davenport. And as much as that may be a needed position, a needed position, I said when I saw the trade results before I knew which player they were taking, man, that's a lot to give up. Must be Lamar Jackson. They're coming up to take their next quarterback. And I was, I think, most shocked to see that they came up to take a defensive lineman. Yeah, that was a big surprise to me, especially because a lot of the mock drafts that I had seen had the Packers taking Davenport in that spot. And so then they ended up trading the pick away to the Saints to take him. And like you, I thought that the Saints would be taking a quarterback there, especially given how much they gave up to trade into that spot. But Davenport's a great fit for them. I think he's really going to help them a lot. I'm going to say that I agree with the statement. I think that Josh Rosen falling all the way to 10 was a pretty big surprise, Um, especially you and I had talked about earlier. We thought Josh Allen, who ended up going to the Bills, would be the quarterback to slide because of the way that, you know, uh, those tweets came out within the the day or so before the draft some stuff that he tweeted as a teenager that it's really not a good look for him the way that also Josh Rosen has been getting a lot of good publicity from the interview that he gave the other day uh, where he sort of was not guarded and really spoke his mind and you know it, it seemed like the type of thing frankly that Bills fans would love and a lot of us wanted him but um to see Josh Rosen fall all the way to 10 and then the Cardinals be able to trade up and snag on the way that they did um which is a great move for them. That yeah, was a them. big that was a big surprise to me. And of course I was excited to see it happen because it keeps them away from the Patriots, but um yeah, I, I will say that that's the biggest surprise of the draft for me. We'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Beyond the Game. Do you 
you know an athlete whose participation in athletics is vital to their college choice? Then consider telling them about Roberts Wesleyan College. Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts. We field 17 varsity sports and offer the only NCAA D2 program in Greater Rochester. Our teams have won six conference titles and reached three NCAA national championship appearances. Help the athlete you know to take their game to the next level. Visit roberts.edu. When I have a home remodeling project, whether interior or exterior, I call McAfee's Remodeling Company. Family-owned for nearly two decades, McAfee's Remodeling Company is the name I trust. Mike McAfee put a new bathroom into my house three years ago, and I'm still getting compliments on it every time someone comes over to visit. Mike and his crew are experienced and professional, and you'll be thrilled with their work. So give McAfee's Remodeling Company a call today at 402-1070. That's 402-1070. Or visit them online at McAfeeRemodeling.com. It's here. Ram Sports Network. Christian Sports Television. That's right. Christian Sports Television. Ram Sports Network is the first Christian sports TV channel with programming from Pee to the pros. Games, events, sports talk, fitness and nutrition, sports missions, western sports, and sports ministry. We're spreading the gospel through sports. Watch us now at ramsportsnetwork.com or find us on the Roku Channel Store. Ram Sports Network, more than a game. are back on Beyond the Game. Zach Barletta here filling in for Rick Benson, my brother Spencer, on the studio line from Roanoke, Virginia. And we're recording this segment uh, right at the end of the first round of the NFL Draft Thursday night. The Bills have made two picks. They traded up to number 7 to take quarterback Josh Allen from Wyoming, and they traded uh, from 22 up to 16 to take linebacker Tremaine Edmonds. Spencer, I think it's safe to say that we like one of these two picks a lot more than the other um, <laughs> because it's relevant to this area of the country, because we're both big Bills fans, and because this is a really big deal. Um, let's talk about what the Bills did in the first round. Obviously, rounds two through seven will happen between now and the time that this show airs, but since the first round is in the books, let's talk about what the Bills did. First of all, Josh Allen, what were your thoughts when the Bills selected our least favorite quarterback of the first round. <laughs> you know, I said to uh, to a few people in, into the Twitter universe before the draft started, right as Roger Goodell was coming out, I tweeted out, I said, man, I feel about as nervous as I did when I was getting ready to get married, which says a lot about my priorities. And uh, <laughs> when, when Josh Allen was the pick, it felt a little bit like I got left at the altar, uh, just to be perfectly honest. That's a good way to put it. Uh, I will be the the first one to say um, that the Bills pay scouts to do this job because they're very good at it, and I have to uh, trust the process uh, because virtually every pick that they have done, every trade, every move that they've made, I've approved of virtually almost all of them uh, to this point. So I will remain optimistic because I'm a fan. I've been optimistic for the last 17 years, and I'm not going to stop now. And I will also be the first to admit that, yes, I do think Josh Allen does have the potential to have the highest ceiling of all of these guys. That being said, it was a disappointment for me, at least that first pick. Yeah, I was very disappointed by it. And uh, 
Look, Spencer, first of all, don't sell yourself short, okay? There's lots of scouts that go to games and watch tape and stuff. But look, we watch a lot of YouTube clips and read a lot of Twitter. We're just as smart as those guys. <laughs> I watch all of the four-minute highlight videos. <laughs> uh, but seriously, no, I, you know, obviously we were both very disappointed with the Josh Allen pick. Um, of all the quarterbacks predicted to possibly go in the first round, I think we had him at the bottom of our list. Uh, and... To especially to see him go off the board to the Bills when Josh Rosen was still there and lasted for three more picks. Um, Josh Rosen was the number one quarterback on my board, followed closely by Baker Mayfield. I know that your board was the opposite. You had Mayfield and then Rosen. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked what you said that it felt like being left at the altar because we came into this with a lot of hope. We knew they were going to get a quarterback. We knew they were going to trade up. We knew they had the most ammunition to do it of any team in the first round. And then to end up with the quarter, the one quarterback that you don't want um, right. was just, it, it, it was a big bummer. I will say this, I'm wrong a lot, so there's a good chance maybe Josh Allen turns out to be a Pro Bowl quarterback because I don't think he's going to be good, so he probably will be. Um, but I, we don't like him, I think, for probably the same reason that a lot of other people don't like him, which is that while he is big and mobile and strong-armed and a good dude and stuff he just he's not accurate and the number one job of a quarterback is to accurately get the football to his receivers you know it's the number one job of a quarterback and he's not very good at it so um (laughs) what do you think of his chances of becoming accurate enough to be an above average starting quarterback well the one thing i can say for him is that he is the quarterback who, in my opinion, and in a lot of draft Knicks opinions, has shown the most improvement between the end of the season and the NFL Combine. Now, the NFL Combine is not a good place to drastically change your decision on who you want to be your quarterback because uh, there's a lot of guys who, quote, look good in, look good in shorts. Um, but his... I am not biggest... one of those guys, by the way. <laughs> no, me either. Uh, me either, but... Um, Josh Allen, his biggest issue uh, is his footwork. As a general consensus, he does have a few issues, but his biggest issue is his footwork. And his footwork was the most improved aspect of his game between the end of the game, the games during the season, and the combine. So he do- he is an incredibly hard worker. He does have good coaches, and he is the kind of person who works to perfection. And and if he can continue to improve. We could see improvement. The, the issue that I have, though, is once the game is on the line and we're not in practice anymore, players tend to revert to what comes naturally to them. And so that would be my concern. And number two is that you mentioned his inaccuracy. And I believe something like in the last 10 years, there's only been one quarterback with an under 60% career completion percentage. That's college. That's junior college, JUCO, um, who has been into the NFL and is still in the league, who was a good a uh, good quarterback. Do you happen to know who that guy is? I I don't. I remember that I've read it. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's Cam Newton. It's Matt Stafford. Ah, um, okay. Matt Stafford, I think, had a career 57% completion percentage. He's the only quarterback on this long list of quarterbacks taken that didn't have a 60% completion percentage. That's kind of the NFL threshold. Who has made it in the league? Um, Josh Allen was not at that 60%, so... It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of dedication. It's going to take a lot of the right coaching 
but I do remain optimistic because if he if he does end up being the exception to the rule, honestly, I would take Matt Stafford. But if we end up getting a uh, a better Cam Newton or a better, more mobile Big Ben in the end, then I'll gladly be wrong. Yeah, and those are two of the guys that you hear about the most in comparison or uh, as a comp for Josh Allen. You hear Big Ben, you hear Cam Newton. And the Cam Newton one is the one that I think stuck in both of our minds when the pick was made, that, well, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott came to us from Carolina, and now they have their Cam Newton, the big, strong-armed, inaccurate, mobile uh, highly athletic, um, good-bodied quarterback. And, um, I mean, look, Cam Newton's not real accurate, and mm-hmm. he went to a Super Bowl with along with a McDermott defense. So right. um, I think we have to hope that um, the Bills brass and, and offensive coordinator, coordinator Brian Dable have a plan in place to help him grow and get better and take over this team, and that you and I are um, happily proven wrong shortly. Uh, but yeah, that's all we really can hope for. We've known this whole time that um, that he had the highest ceiling. Everyone said Josh Allen's got the highest ceiling. So you mentioned the Dable offense, and one of the benefits of having him, and Bean said it the other day in an interview, is that whatever player we take, we'll build the offense around him. So at least they're doing one thing right even if I don't love the pick, at least they are going to try to formulate the offense in a way that can make him as effective as possible if he is indeed starting at any point next year. Yeah, and the one thing, of course, that's so frustrating about the Josh Allen pick is we keep hearing people talk about, oh, the Buffalo weather, you need a strong arm to throw through the Buffalo weather and stuff. And, you know, the numbers have borne out that the amount of extreme weather that would make it hard to throw a football in Buffalo, it's actually not a lot of it. Surprisingly, right. um, that is very overblown. And so to hear the Sean McDermott reference to that after the Allen pick was kind of a bummer for me. How about you? Yeah, it was a disappointment for me. I think you and I had a discussion a little while ago that there's actually been some statistics that have come out that have said that some of the worst weather, some of the worst wind is actually in domes. Uh, just due to the way that the air swirls inside and everything, and uh, that the games that the Bills actually play in the snow or in really windy, bad conditions is actually less, much less frequent than you'd think. You know, it's one or it's two games. So I think that in fans' minds, that's just not the answer that they want to hear from McDermott. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's going to backfire on him. I think a lot of people are are going to be using that as as the butt of jokes for a while. So the other pick that the Bills made, which we liked significantly more than the Josh Allen pick, was the pick of linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, who, quite frankly, I I was very surprised to see him there at number 16. Uh, It was thought that he might go at pick 9, 10, 11, somewhere in that range. We liked that pick a lot better. Do you want to take that and say kind of why we like the Tremaine Edmonds pick so much? Yeah, uh, something that you said to me was, as much as I dislike the Josh Allen pick, that's as much as I like the Tremaine Edmonds pick. We've been talking for a while about how Sean McDermott is probably going to want to try to find at some point his his Luke Keekley here in Buffalo. And I don't think anyone, myself included, foresaw the Bills being able to trade up and take their quarterback of choice and have another first-round pick left in the first round in 2017 at this point. So 
not only the fact that we have this pick left over to use is very impressive, but then that Tremaine Edmonds, who is either the best or second best consensus linebacker in the draft, the guy's a freak. He's six foot five. I saw him in person just a couple of weeks ago, and everybody around him looked like they could have been his baby brother. Um, great a- athletic ability. He's actually surprisingly thin, but he's strong. He's great in coverage. He somehow manages to fall down far enough that McDermott and Bean can wheel and deal, make one small trade, and get their Luke Keekley, so to speak, in the middle. This guy's an animal. He's got uh, a really great nose for finding the football. He can read plays while they're happening or before they happen. I couldn't like this pick anymore. And in fact, as far as we were talking about the Josh Allen pick, it really kind of softens the blow a little bit. Yeah, you know, I saw a tweet shortly after the pick happened uh, that said the Bills just took their Cam Newton and Luke Keekley. And I was like, you know, that's that's an interesting way to look at it, because um, those two guys obviously have really worked out for uh, Carolina. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, first of all, is a huge dude. He's like, what is he, 6'5", um, big, solid dude, very f- surprisingly a- uh, athletic and fast. Um, he is not, not only able to really destroy a ball carrier, but also... Um, he can cover a running back and cover a tight end. And I can't help but think that we're going to see him matched up with Gronkowski sooner rather than later. Yes, and it is a it is a matchup I look forward to. There are certain players in certain positions that you can't inherently count on seeing a ton of production from a rookie in their first year, uh, a tight end, a wide receiver, sometimes a quarterback. Linebacker is not inherently one of those positions, and uh, being here in Virginia, I am just about an hour from Virginia Tech where Tremaine Edmonds went to school. So I've got a lot of friends and coworkers here that are huge Virginia Tech fans and they're huge Tremaine Edmonds fans. And my phone has been blowing up ever since that pick with people telling me, you have no idea what you guys just got in in that player. And uh, you have no idea how excited you should be. I got some, some Facebook interactions from some people telling me that guy will be a pro bowler next year. And one of the coolest things about Tremaine Edmonds, he's 19 years old. Yeah, it's wild. You look at him, you look at him in the face, and you're like, all right, he could be 19. And you see a picture of him, like, in a sleeveless shirt, and you're like, there's no way. This dude's a monster. Yeah. So uh, I'm very excited about Tremaine Edmonds. And the, the nice thing is that he could play in the middle, or he could play the Sam linebacker. He can, you know, move to the outside. So depending on who the Bills are able to add later on in the draft, um, he gives you a lot of versatility at the linebacker position. Um, you could put him in the middle to stuff the run. You could put him to the outside to rush the passer or cover the tight end or the running back. You can do a lot of things with him, and he's just a freak athlete. So very, very excited. So overall, I mean, the Bills drafted two very large humans in the first round, uh, <laughs> traded up for both of them. As a result, they're going to be sitting out the second round, um, and I believe also lost one of their third-round picks in the Edmonds trade. But you know what? They took a swing for a franchise quarterback. They added... Uh, a fantastic linebacker talent that fills a huge need for them. They went up and got their guy, so I guess all that's left for us to do is sit back and watch and see how it pans out. You're listening to Beyond the Game. Coming up after the break, we're going to give you our You Like That's for this week. We'll wrap up the show and put a bow on it. Stay tuned for that. You're listening to Beyond the Game. Hey gang, Benson here. You know, because I'm a bit of an introvert, 
I don't rush right up to people and get in a conversation as I see others do. I wish that were more comfortable for me. But that doesn't mean that I don't care about people. In fact, one of my greatest joys is to help people. The biggest help I can ever be is to tell folks about the grace of God. Now just hear me out. Give me just two minutes, and then because I know you're a smart person, decide for yourself what to do with what I'm telling you. You see, all of us are sinners. And because we are, we can't get to heaven on our own merit. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But it also tells us that God loves us. So much so, in fact, that he sent his son, who is the only one who never sinned. And though he need not die, willingly did so on a cross as a sacrifice to pay the debt of all our sins. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Why? Because God wants us all to be saved from an eternity in hell. He says so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. But though he gave his life, Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He rose again, defeating death, making it possible for us to go to heaven as a result of his righteousness. You see, that's the grace of God I want to tell you about. Forgiveness of sins is available to all people. God's grace is freely available to everyone. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Here it is, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you want to know Jesus, pray to God. Tell him you know you're a sinner. Tell him you believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and that he did that for you. And then start a new life, repenting from your sins and seeking after God. If you want to know more about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be forgiven of sin, visit our website, btgprogram.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Zach. If you're a fan of Unsolved Mysteries, Mythical Monsters, Murder Whodunits, or just podcasts in general, check out my other show, The Myths and Mysteries Podcast. Every two weeks, my brother Spencer and I tell fascinating stories about topics like the Bermuda Triangle, JFK's assassination, chupacabras, serial killers, and more. You can find us by searching for Myths and Mysteries on iTunes or Google Play or on our website, mythsandmysteriespod.com. Don't forget to click subscribe and leave us a review to let us know what you think. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Myths Podcast. So go check out the Myths and Mysteries Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Do you know a high school athlete looking for a D2 college? Hi, I'm Dr. Dina Porterfield, president of Roberts Wesleyan College. We're proud to be a serious athletic school with great opportunities for serious athletes. In fact, we have the only Division II athletic program in the area. Our many varsity programs range from basketball, tennis, and cross country to track and field, golf, volleyball, and soccer. Tell the young athlete in your life about Roberts. Visit roberts.edu. Welcome back to Beyond the Game. We're wrapping things up here to finish up the hour. Uh, one of the things that you know we always do here, we like to end the show on a positive note. So we're going to do our You Like That segment. Um, 
we're each going to give something that we saw from the last week or so in sports that we really liked, that we took notice of. Spencer, I'll go first. What I really liked this week was a quote from uh, Detroit Tigers outfielder Jacoby Jones. Um, He had a walk-off home run um, against the Royals several days ago, and what I liked the most was his quote after the game. He was obviously very fired up to hit the walk-off in the game. And they asked him, you know, well, how did you feel about the walk-off? How did you feel afterwards? And what was going through your mind? And he goes, I'm kind of hungry, so I wanted to end it. <laughs> and uh, A man after my own heart. Yeah, I was like, amen. I can identify with just want something to be over so you can go get some food. So Jacoby Jones being hungry and being honest about it, that's what I liked this week. I love it. That's very Babe Ruth-esque. Um, what I like this week is a story related to an, an icon at New Era Field, the Buffalo Bills legendary fan, Pancho Billa. Uh, for those of you who are local, he's kind of a near and dear to our heart kind of guy, so uh, sorry if uh, if you're mad at me for being a homer. But Pancho Billa is one of the kind of icon fans of the Buffalo Bills. A lot of these teams have them. You've got trademark fans in the dog pound for Cleveland. You've got a Viking who rides a motorcycle, I believe, in Minnesota, if he's still... Be- you know, uh, close with the team. Uh, you know, the, you see these trademark fans of the Raiders. These franchises have kind of staple fans that come to be a part of uh, what you think of when you think of the team. Pancho Billa is a huge Bills fan and was diagnosed with cancer, I believe, brain cancer in the month of January. He's uh, a huge presence in the, the uh, Bills mafia, and his wish more than anything in the world was to go to the NFL draft in Dallas this year. A bunch of Bills fans picked up uh, on what he was talking about on social media and started passing the word around, and the Buffalo Bills reached out this past week and invited Poncho and 50 of his friends uh, in the Dallas uh, Buffalo Bills backer area to come on down for the NFL draft this year and be a part of it and be something special. They get all-access passes to see what's going on. So the Buffalo Bills reaching out to Poncho Bill and doing something special for a guy with one of the worst diseases out there was what I like this week. That's a great story, and he's a really cool guy. So I encourage you to just look up Pancho Billa on Twitter and check that out. It's a pretty cool story. We thank you for joining us here on Beyond the Game for this hour, spending your weekend, or at least a small portion of your weekend, with us. We hope that you enjoyed it. We've enjoyed being here to share some of our opinions and thoughts with you, however good or uneducated they potentially are. Uh, we want to remind you that you can catch all of our episodes on apple podcasts uh you just look for beyond the game we are at btgprogram.com we are on uh facebook instagram and twitter at btg program thanks for spending some time with us we will be here at the same time next week have a good weekend be good